Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to the Comics Corner. Uh, I am John, and today we have uh, an extra special guest, someone that we haven't had in quite a bit. Uh, we have uh, Mr. Kelly Monroe Johnston, funnily enough, uh, named after two of the 1950s greatest actresses, Grace Kelly and Marilyn Monroe. Welcome. Indeed. Indeed. You nailed it first time. Hey, John, how are you, buddy? I'm good. How are you? Now, yo, you have moved. So this is the new Comics Corner, the first Comics Corner in your new location. That's true. I am now I'm now part of the greater Atlanta, Georgia uh, theatrical community, and I'm delighted to be so. But it is it's funny because I actually typically am lurking in the background in all the comic corners because normally I'm the one that sets up the Zoom. So it's funny. I feel like I've actually been in all of them, although I have been in like effectively none of them. So, so. I, yeah, I don't think you've been in one since Uncle Sam. Nope. Which Not is since Uncle Sam. Although God knows, I enjoyed that one. Like God, I I really love that comic. So yeah, that graphic novel, I should say. So yeah, that was a good one. Um, so we actually, um, you're going to be our our experimental guinea pig because we're going to do a couple of things different today. <laughs> love we it. are actually not going to talk about a comic. We are going to actually... Oh, no. Screw that. No, nope, I'm done. Never I know. I know. Bear, bear with me. Bear with me. <laughs> <laughs> we are actually going to discuss WandaVision because we didn't really discuss WandaVision on the episode we titled WandaVision. That's we true. talked about Wanda and Vision. Yes. And we talked for maybe a minute about WandaVision. <laughs> but we're actually going to talk about WandaVision. Um, and one of the reasons I'm very excited to have you here today, I mean, obviously, just because I, I love to see you and chat with you, Indeed. is um, I would actually kind of like to discuss some of the overarching um, themes of the show with uh, the theater, which you are a theater expert. Well, um, thank, you, thank you very much, man. You're welcome. Um, you're welcome. All right. Yeah. This sounds fun. Okay. Um, so, uh, obviously, the um, so uh, I should start out by saying spoiler alert in full effect. If you haven't seen WandaVision, just be prepared that we may be spoiling <laughs> okay. some of the things that are WandaVision. And, and let's be clear: if you haven't seen WandaVision, if you haven't seen WandaVision by now, like, what have you been living under a freaking rock? Like, what the hell? Go. Yeah. Why would you not have seen this? Like, it's I, it's so good. And all you have to have is a subscription to Disney Plus. Not even Disney Premium. Just good old Disney Plus will get you there. So yes. no excuses, ladies and gentlemen. Shock, shocked I am. Shocked yes. at all of you I am. Mm-hmm. Um, and if Disney Plus is listening and would like to sponsor the show, please feel free to reach out to us as any of our social medias. We really um, are shameless yeah. about selling out like that. You bet. Yeah, not a problem with it whatsoever. <laughs> Um, also, the addition, the um, the opinions expressed by Kelly and myself are our opinions and do not reflect 
the um, Matthew or, or, or Josh, Matthew or Josh, or the <laughs> Coolest Month podcast. That's true. That's true. Think, this is just us. Yeah, I think I've covered us all now with between the spoiler alert, the Disney Plus uh, begging, and the and, and um, the, the liability coverage. Smart, good, good yeah. man, good man. You know, try to get that all out of the way early, so yeah. we don't have to. We don't have to backtrack on that one. Um, okay, so obviously the biggest um, the biggest overwhelming theme of WandaVision is grief. The stages right. of grief, how we go through grief. Um, and a lot of people kind of said, well, you know, you had to do this as a TV show because it would never have worked as a movie. And I sort of, I think that's kind of a little bit of a cheat when they say that, because there's, first of all, there's a lot of movies that deal with grief. Yeah. Um, but I think it didn't have to do with the subject matter as much as it had to do with the way they were presenting it, that it needed to be television. I mean, you know, like, let's be clear, the storytelling that is done in movies versus the storytelling that is done in television, to me, is is really sort of the equivalent of the storytelling done in a novel versus the storytelling done in uh, more of an episodic form, like, for instance, comic books, okay? Mm-hmm. Um I, I, first of all, I, I have never felt like one story or format is superior or less than the other, right? They're, they're just different formats, right? So if you go to a movie, on average, you're going to spend two hours, maybe if it's a prestige film, two and a half, three, maybe, right? If it's insanely, you know, whatever, four, thank you, Zack Snyder, um, you know, I mean, like, there, there are those movies, but in general, you're spending two hours, which means that the story structure has to cover its entire arc from start to finish in about two hours' time. And um, and there are rules of – I think of them really as sort of like the rules of engagement mm-hmm. with the format, right? So you have – a limited amount of time to introduce characters and involve the audience with them enough emotionally that whatever journey they go on, we go with them emotionally on. Right. And some movies do that in a dynamite, fantastic fashion. And some movies like say, Oh, I don't know. Tenet, um, do not, they, they, they lack something like, uh, in that instance, specifically character, connection so that you watch a character going through this incredible whatever. And you, at least in my experience, you end up going, I don't, I don't care because I I have no connection to what's going on with you whatsoever. Um, Especially because in that particular instance, they didn't even bother to give the character a name. They just called them the protagonist. Right. So, so that's, that's movies. Whereas television and especially smart television like WandaVision, which is, you know, like it's not just that it's a television series. It's like a limit. It's like a um, it's like a six issue miniseries run in comic books, right? Where it, they knew what they were shooting to do, and they did it over the, over uh, a set of what was it, ten episodes for Wandavision? I was nine. Nine. It was nine. Okay, right. So it was so, about four hours because the first, uh, the last two were forty like around 45 minutes, but the first six were all about half an hour. Half hour. Yeah. That was my memory. So 
This is a very different animal because it's doing technically the same thing that a two-hour movie does, right? It's it's going through a very specific arc, and as you pointed out, the main theme of WandaVision is grief. Um, but the advantage that episodic telling has that I think is a true advantage uh, is that you can spend more time on smaller details and you can grow it gradually over time. So, so you don't have to rush in a two hour format. You, you, you don't, there's, there's not a lot of time for subtlety. You just got to go, go, go. Right. Mm -hmm. Whereas with WandaVision, you know, for instance, the first episode is dynamite for about 74,000 different reasons. It was done in front of a live audience, which is unheard of. They filmed it in black and white, which is rare mm -hmm. um, these days, certainly. Um, they uh, they did a... Um, all the it? effects were practical. All the effects were practical. Yes, I remember we talked about that earlier. And, and wonderful in their own way. Like when there's all the stuff flying around in the kitchen... You can't see the wires, but just by the way they're moving, you can you can kind of feel them. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. And it's still it's charming. Like it it works. It, it, it's astonishing. Um, and and yet there's that moment. And and this really out of the first episode, what I remember more vividly than anything else is um, the 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 dinner scene. Mm -hmm. He starts choking, and uh, that actress, the the woman from uh, that '70s show, the Deborah Jo Ralph. Thank you. Um, I I I don't. I'm bad with. I've hit the age, John, where I, names are gone for me now. Like I have to do. Oh, you know the guy that was in the thing. Um, yeah, Deborah Jo Ralph. She's there, and she's you know she's still got the laughing, pleasant face, but she's saying, "Stop it!" And initially to her husband, it's choking, but it becomes very apparent that she's actually talking to Wanda mm -hmm. in the moment. And there's this very bizarre moment where things are out of control. It feels like something bad is just about to happen. There's an ominousness that like swells up because he is dying. And then, and then Wanda basically tells vision to save him. And so vision does, and it's okay. But it, it, it it's so pronounced out of, out of nowhere in its own way. Like when you know the holes, when you, when you, when you actually are a few episodes in, it makes much better sense, but on its own in that episode, it's been a relatively textbook 1950s early television sitcom, right? They're clearly mm -hmm. patterning off Dick Van Dyke show, um, yeah. including with the opening credits, etc. But then there's this, this moment that, that, that isn't quite right. And it's, it's moving. It's really powerful, especially once you understand fully what's happening in that world. Like as what's funny to me is I was, I was struck by it when I first saw it. And like four episodes in, I thought about it again, once I had a handle on what was happening. And, and it actually, I got teary eyed thinking about like how genuinely awful, like real and awful a moment this was in that story. And the magic of it for me, John, is that it was a distinct moment just in and of itself. Like if they aired no other episodes, that would have been a standout, wonderful, weird moment that, that was like, what is going on? What is this? There's a danger to it. I don't understand it fully yet, but 
I trust, I, I've got enough trust at that point to trust to explain it. And then later, once it's clear that what's happened here is Wanda has created this whole reality and talk about spoilers. Hello, anyone who hasn't seen it, that's that's the gag. Um, is that she's created this moment, this this world, and so she does have the authority, effectively, almost of God Almighty, to save a life or not. But in the moment, this woman, Deborah Jo Ruff, is sitting at the table, unable to help her husband in any way, and has to even is forced by the by the magic that's in play to pretend like everything is normal while her spouse is choking to death beside her. And the utter helplessness of that moment, the, the absolute sort of yawning pit of despair that that, that implied what, is breathtaking to me. And when you consider that, again, the reason she's done this, and, and I don't want to speak out of turn, John, because because – no, that's right. I, I have a bunch of things to say, but I want to let you finish your but, thought. But given that, that Wanda is actually coping with her own grief, right? Like that's what's happening over the, the overarching arc of the, the story is that she's dealing with her own grief. The fact that like there's this little mini moment that, that echo that, that, re, that reverberates to that main point, I maintain that's one of the reasons that in that episode that moment is a standout moment because it has a depth that that echoes to a bigger thing and you can get away with that in an episodic structure because there's time to to delve it all out you can get complicated you can give the audience mysteries that will become resolved in an episode or two whereas again in the form of like a full-on movie that's a much harder trick to pull off there there are only so many mysteries you can throw at an audience before they're just confused and tuned out, right? So I actually think that for what they were doing with WandaVision, um, this was the absolute way to go. A movie would never have been able to do this. So, Well, it's, it's interesting. I actually think a non-American movie would be able to do this because I think if you look at a lot of European films, they end oddly and strangely, and there are a lot of questions unanswered. Um, so I don't know that, uh, and I don't mean that badly. I mean that I think in American film, as in American television, as in American books, we tend to like things that are more wrapped up neatly so that we can go, okay, that story is ended. I, I have my closure to it. Um, but I, so I, it's it's funny because all of the things that struck me about WandaVision were actually nothing that you talked about, strangely enough. <laughs> well, that's the beauty of being two different people, isn't it? There you go. Um, and it's also very lucky that you don't have to be me. Um, so congratulations on that. <laughs> Let me ask you a side question. Do, yeah. you, do you still feel, because I, I hear what you're saying, and I don't disagree that, that certainly the tradition of European storytelling has been a lot more um, open-ended a lot more. Uh, there are more questions per, per, perhaps than answers traditionally, but do you feel like that's still the case? Because I, I actually feel like in the last 
20, 30 years, the influence of American storytelling has seeped over so that there's actually less of that happening than there used to be. There's probably, I'm sure there probably is. I don't watch a whole ton of contemporary European films, the sort of ones that I watch for those 1960s classics, you know, the Jean-Luc Godard and all of that kind of stuff that was sort of like in my pretentious 20s as opposed to my pretentious 50s. Um, in those pretentious 20s, I was sort of like, oh, I know. I'll watch it. And then I pretend to understand it and talk about like <laughs> and everything. And I'm like, I don't know what the hell is going on. I know that that shot is pretty, but that's about the only thing that I get out of it. Yeah. yeah you know? I'm with you. I'm totally, I, I remember, except that I would, I, unlike you, John, I didn't have the good sense to pretend to be like, Oh yes, I get it. Instead I would go. And I was like, I was really the country cousin. that would be like, what in the fuck was that? <laughs> Like, I don't, I don't understand a damn thing about, you know, so. Yeah, and it's like, I just watched, a, you know, a two hour movie about a bike and it's like, it's not really a bike. It's a metaphor, but it's, it's like, but, I, I'm, I can't understand any of it. Right. But, but like, yeah. but it clearly was a bike. So, so yeah. yeah. So, so sorry. I, I know that that's not even what we're here to talk about, but I just was curious if you thought that there was bleed over. So please go ahead. Um. So, I mean, the first thing that kind of, I, I struck me about the series was actually the sense of mystery, which was, I don't know what's happening and I don't care what's happening because I'm entertained, which right. I think is lifted directly intentionally or not um, from Twin Peaks. Um, because of course, the yes. minute everybody's questions started getting answered on Twin Peaks was when everybody started tuning out and yet everybody demanded that they get all those answers. I mean, so, you know, you and, I, you and I are the generation that can remember. To, you remember watching it, right? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That first season, up up through like, because it, it was about what two thirds of the way through the first season before they finally answered the question. Right, they didn't do it right at the end, did they? They like, I feel like it was all the way we got through most, if not all, of the first season without knowing who killed Laura Palmer. Oh, you got all the way through the first season it was, without it was, knowing. It wasn't yeah. the second. So the first season, I remember being like enthralled and like, I, rem I still remember like there would be those shots of the, um, of the stoplight mm -hmm. swaying in the wind and then it would turn green or red, you know, depending. And, and like, I remember I spent hours with friends debating what the hell that meant. And I think I read somewhere that Lynch was like, I, we just liked the shot. We just stuck it in there. Yeah. <laughs> like it didn't. And and again, that's a very European way of telling a story. Right. You know, right. like he's very clearly influenced by different kind of uh, sure. themes. So that's the first thing that struck me, this sort of sense, this not sort of sense, but this sense of, I don't know what's going on, nor do I care so much what's going on, right. nor do I care what's happening. But what's interesting to me is when I would watch a lot of reviews on it, on WandaVision, um, people would sort of take the first answer, and I'm using air quotes around that answer. Right. But, you know, people would, you know, I remember people being shocked when they got to episode eight and they were like, wait, Wanda left the body, but Hayward said she's left the body. And I was like, you, did you not see the camera cut out? Like, how could you not think that there's a possibility that he's lying? And it's fascinating because, um, Years ago, many, 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 many years ago, when I was in college, uh, I was taking a theater class, um, like a 
I guess, a script analysis class. Wow. And one of the things that the professor said was there's three ways to know about a character. The first thing is what the writer tells you about the character. Um, the second thing is what the character says and does. And right. then the third thing is what other people say about the character. And right. I'm like, people always seem to forget that, um, that uh, to sort of tie it in, you know, when, when the first Wonder Woman trailer for the first movie came out and everybody was like, oh, so it's going to be the she was made of clay. And I was like, do you really think they're going to reveal that whole thing in the trailer? I mean, it, it's fascinating to me. And I do, again, I don't mean this in a bad way, but because I do it constantly, but how we sort of jump on the first thing as an answer and we don't think of other characters as lying about character. It's very strange to me that we don't think that. To some degree, that has been influenced by, I would argue that a lot of that has been influenced by the, the, the marketing machines of, of, of places like, you know, in this case, Disney, because they own Marvel now or what have you, where, you know, if you put out a trailer that shows like if, if we put out a, our own superhero movie, John, which where, of course, you are the superhero and uh, and and in the trailer, we have people saying that, my God, you can fly. Just because of the way trailers work at, at, at like on the public consciousness, no one thinks that you'd put a character in that's lying about another character in the trailer, right? Because it's a miss, because it, it would be a MacGuffin effectively. It would be a, a bait and switch, right? And yet I think there's something genius in what you're saying about like, but other characters do lie about other characters. Like you could put together a trailer that, and I would love this personally because I'm one of those people now that feel like every trailer I see gives me the excuse to not see the movie. Because mm-hmm. these days every trailer is effectively a 90 second version of the movie where I, I now know everything that's going to happen. I right. know what turns are. I know what all the surprises are. So why go see the damn movie? You've already shown it to me. And I would love it if somebody would make a trailer where I was like, okay, I know what this is. And I go in and it's nothing like what I saw on the trailer. Right. Except yeah. I also know that I'm the exception. Most people would be very upset with a movie that's trailer was so misleading. So you're right. But I think there's a difference between being misleading and being, um, oh, how do I put this? There's a difference between mm-hmm. lying to someone when you say, do you love me? Okay. And a difference that between lying to someone. Sorry, I'm I'm just going with the examples that I have <laughs> no, no, foremost I in my cool. brain. Real now, okay, all right. Um, super dark, but I love it. Um, but there's a difference between lying when someone says, "Do you love me?" and lying when someone says, "Well, what are your troop movements? I need to know so that way I can, you know." There's a difference between a lie and a deception. Yes, of of course there is, but but I think some of it is is that. My point is, is that because of the way we tease information in, in trailers and in teaser trailers, et cetera, we, we tend to take everything that's said in those as gospel, as absolutes. And so I think what it has done over the course of a few decades is, is it, ca- it has caused the general audience to, to really stop focusing on the thing that you pointed out, which is that part of how you know a character is what other people say about that character. 
And really it downplays the idea that like lots of people, just as just true in real life, lots of people lie about other people all the damn time. Yeah. Like, I mean, I, I don't know anybody who could get through the day without a few good lies. Right. So, uh, so, you know, I mean, I mean, you know, and then, yeah, I don't want to get too heady because again, this is not our topic, but then there's like the question of, and do they lie to themselves? Does anyone really know anyone ever? But well, but, actually, let's let's get to that in a minute. Um, okay. The second thing that I want to say um, yeah. about the thing that struck me um, about right. especially the first three episodes of WandaVision is that it is very much a love letter to TV, and yes. I think the reason that um, there is that moment that you were talking about of sort of helplessness and this sort of air of nonchalance and this air of comedy is that uh, sitcoms themselves sort of reflect how we function in society. You know, in the 50s, you were dealing with the ideal, the idealization, idealization, is that correct? Is that a word? Idealization? Uh, Or... um... Yes, yes, sure. idealization. Yeah. I'll pretend that's a word. Um, <laughs> of the American dream, where everything was perfect, everything was fun, everything was light, um, which is why I think there's that frisson between the moment of someone actually choking me and how well, he's playing it. You, you, never, that, you never see a real moment like that in a sitcom. You, well, you wouldn't have in the 60s, and, or in the 50s. In the 50s. And then if you go to... But if you go to the 60s, um, there things get a little bit more realistic. People are allowed to sleep in the same bed. People are allowed to acknowledge. And that the they have sec- created but then you get to the episode. But. Right. And when you get to the, the 70s, you sort of begin to teeter on, um, on those special episodes. But with the 80s and the 90s, Mm-hmm. There is in sitcom land a real um, uh, sense of let's earn this special episode. Let's talk about death, racism, sexism. Well, you know, and, all of these things that are coming up, which I then, don't. Go ahead. No, I was going to say. Then by the aughts, you've you like sitcoms are no longer traditional sitcoms. You you still get like one in a blue moon, but now they're more like. Um, and they and they emulated this in the show. They're more like Modern Family, where there isn't a live, where there is no studio audience, and you are watching multiple storylines. Some of most of which have a funny bent, but there's still some like reality underneath it, and it's dealing with more realistic problems. And 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 that's interesting because like one of the things that I really enjoyed about Wandavision a lot was. And you hit it right on the head. It was the homage to television? It starts in the fifties, and every episode jumps forward a decade, right? Like it. And it, ev- but but if you watch every episode, very much is a love letter to those things. Yes. You know, the fifties, it's yes. all about this idealization. Yes. The sixties, you begin to see a little bit more of what the actuality of the world. Right. The 70s, you get to touch on that a little bit more. And then by the time you get to the 80s, you have parents that fight and disagree. And you have children that are bratty and do things that they shouldn't do. And 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 you're dealing with neighbors that are are like 
concerned because of what's happening behind, like, you know, the, the yeah. idea of like what was going on behind some of your neighbor's doors in the fifties, you have the nosy neighbor who's comic relief. And by the time you get into the eighties and nineties, you have the concerned neighbor who is making sure that everything is okay. Like, like there's a, there is a real shift. And, and, and in that light, John, one of the things that I was struck by with WandaVision was the fact that, and this, this is something I've, ruminated on independent of the show, but like with the advent of reality television, which is not real, right? Like a lot, like again, it's scripted spoilers, ladies and gentlemen, in case anyone out there that watches reality television thinks that it's not controlled or edited or scripted. I'm sorry. It absolutely is. Um, they, they manipulate the hell out of it. They may not hand them actual scripts, but boy, do they steer those things, right? But with the advent of reality television, we affect, and, and, and with the further expansion of the internet and what it, what it can do, right? Because now, now we are a constant on-demand society, right? So entertainment has become our our lives, our lives themselves are entertainment, right? Mm-hmm. Even to the point where during pandemia, which is my charming term for the last 18 months, it's, it's more of a state of mind than a, than a place. Pandemia. Come, come, for, come, come, for, the, uh, come for the masks. The stay. Bob, there's a Bob Fosse musical in there somewhere. Oh, you know it is, right? But, but, um, but with the advent of pandemia and with the explosion of things like, for instance, OnlyFans, which is, you know, it's not the same as a sitcom, but it is, it is technically a, an entertainment platform, but it is an entertainment platform where individuals are exposing themselves, whether you consider that to be psychically or physically or whatever, in the most real sense, it, 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 we're at a point now where what is entertainment is other people's lives. It's not, they're not even fictional anymore. Or they're fictionalized to the point of seeming like they're real, even if they're fictional, which is Facebook in a nutshell to me, right? So one of the things I thought was really interesting to watch with WandaVision is this clear progression from what was clearly not real. What you know, like like 1950s sitcom is so rigid a structure that there's no reality in it. And as it grew from episode to episode and became more modern and the mystery, you know, the, 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 the onion gets peeled away and we become more in line with, with modern day. One of the things that made me think about is the fact that like in a very real sense, this is, this is sort of us on a large scale that things that we think of as entertainment um, more and more are becoming more just actual life. Right. Um, and, And that is really fascinating to me and terrifying and, and unsettling because what constitutes uh, entertainment now, right? What, what actually is entertainment? Well, I, I want to, before we, sorry, I go to put it, put a pin in that. And we, we may come back and revisit that before we, before we sort of, spiral into i apologize i know no, nothing i run that gamut every time not a, not a problem um I, between you and matthew whenever i do these i'm like okay i i gotta step in here and take some control <laughs> this is why you never have to do somewhere at the same time yeah. um but 
one of the points that I wanted to kind of get back to okay, sorry. Yes. is that um, I think what the extra time of this does, and even though it's, you know, still expanded um, to, I guess, about four or five hours for a full season as opposed to, well, as I guess it's about four or five hours for Infinity War and Endgame, um, is sure, sure. that it... I don't want to say that there's not an emotional attachment to the characters in the MCU. You've been watching people over 20 movies. Um, or if you're like me, you've been watching only certain people over 20 movies because you're not interested in watching all of them. Um, but you do, you know, there are attachments that you have to people. But even those attachments are more superficial. With this, you are really treated to the fact that super-powered human beings are still human beings. And um, they're suddenly dealing with the same kind of emotions that we deal with. It's right. just on a different level. Right. Um, and when you have this sort of different levels. And the other thing that's, that's fascinating to me, and this is one of those things that, um, oh, how do I put this? You know, there's people all the time who are like, well, civil war, everybody was right. Well, you know, Thanos had a point, blah, blah, blah. Um, Thanos, by the way, I just want to stop and say most underthought plan in the entire world um, because eventually, even if you take out 50% of the population, eventually you're going to get to the point where people are going to repopulate. I mean, so it's sort of like, yeah. okay, I guess I could understand if you wanted to make 50% of people sterile, but it still doesn't make sense. If you want to fix the problem with the big brass glove, you snap your fingers and what you snap your fingers for is enough resources for everyone in the universe and for them to be infinitely uh, re resupplying so that there is never a danger of people starving or running out of food or whatever, which is, you know, hopefully what somebody that got the infinity gauntlet would do as opposed to here's a thought. Why don't I just kill half the universe? Yeah. You just anyway. make the universe twice as big. Well, <laughs> there you go. Like, if you so, want to go with like the boneheaded in the opposite way, you're just like, Oh, that makes more but, sense. Well, you, but, but, but here's the thing, Josh, is that if you don't put in a renewability to it, the inevitable problem will always be that you've run out of resources. A depletion of resources. Oh, right. I was just saying the opposite way oh. of his killing everybody, making it twice as big, makes far more sense. So I think we, I think we can all agree um, Thanos should have actually sat down with a focus group for a couple minutes before he decided <laughs> to make that snap. Done a study, you know, gotten some people. Here, here's the other thing, though, and you know this as well as I do, John, that the terrible cheat is that in the comics, Thanos is enamored with, literally in love with, the persona and idea of death. And so that when they did it in the comics, he was literally killing off half the universe as a, as a token of affection, as a present to what he considered his paramour, which, by the way, makes sense in that instance and is horrible, but at least you understand what it is. And I, I, I really am kind of puzzled why they didn't bother to go ahead and give him that trait in the movies. But um, Because I don't think you can sort of personify death in quite the same way. But 
Okay. Fair, that's a fair point. You're probably right. You're probably let's, right. Let's circle back to a point yes. that I yes. was that I wanted to make, which was fifty minutes um, that you wanted to make. Which was that what it what WandaVision is not afraid to do is to make someone who is a really good person do something that's really terrible. Um, and put you, put you, you, the audience member, us, the audience members in, in the position of not sympathizing with someone. And as we've sort of, um, uh, as we've talked about several times in, um, over the, the season of Cruelest Month, specifically in my instance with Fire in My Heart, of why do we like people who do terrible things? But it puts us in a position of dealing with Wanda of going, wow, a good person did a terrible thing. And I'm not sure how I feel about that because we have a tendency to break people into they're a good person and everything that they do is good and I support them or they're a bad person and everything they do is bad. And I dislike them because we look at our world in a very binary way. This does not do that. Well, we like to put... I mean, in both fiction and in real life, we like to put people in boxes, right? So if you feel this way about a thing and this way about a thing and this way about a thing, then this is your box. And if you feel this way, this way, and this way, then this is your box. And we have real trouble with when the boxes aren't neat, right? One of the things that I appreciated is that she does do, uh, Wanda is doing something. She is a good, and I'm air quoting that, good person who does a really horrible thing. But what I really dug about this is that this is one of the most honest portrayals of grief that I have ever witnessed on in any format, because usually the way stories of grief go and John, check me on this. Tell me if you disagree, but like we meet a person and they are grieving and yet they manage to keep themselves under some kind of control while they're grieving. And so they are shut down or not engaging, but they're not doing anything too extraordinary. And eventually the point of the story is how they come out on the other side of grief and they're back. And that's great. I, I'm not knocking that. That is, but having, you know, both my parents have passed away now, like one when I was 13 and one, my mother died like three years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I am, I'm familiar both with grief and with the passing of a loved one that is close. And this is a thing that no one ever talks about with grief, but I thought WandaVision really did an elegant and eloquent job of portraying, which is one of the fundamental tenements of grief is... I don't give a fuck about what anybody else is going through because this is all there is for me. Right. Yeah. And you, you can, and I have, because I, I love Wanda, but I, I can make an argument of, well, she didn't know what she was doing. And when she found out it was really only about 24 hours and you can make that argument or you can make the argument. No, she figured that out long before and she was doing this. And, and but to, to my point is, is that, even when she discovers it, like if, if we go with the, the thing of she doesn't realize and then she puts together at the end, even then she says she's sorry, but to some degree, it, it's not that she doesn't say it with sincerity, but how in the hell do you apologize 
for taking over everybody else's life and making them dance to your tune because you are so far in grief that there was no other way. But then, I, I, and again, John, I'm thinking about like, for me, after, after my mother died, for at least a month after, everything in the world had to move to my tune because there wasn't room... I couldn't allow for anybody else's reality. And that's, that's not good. That's, that's selfish. It's self-centered. It's, it's what, and because I was so far into grief, I wasn't aware that I was doing that. I was just simply doing the best I could in the reality that I was dealing with. And, And so I really appreciated personally that when we see Wanda make that realization at the end, even then there's a real clear sense of like, this woman is grieving the loss of the love of her life. And this was not a and good her brother and her mother you're and right. her father. Yes, you're right. yes. I mean, I mean, I mean, I, I yeah. think the no, 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 I, I trigger, but you're right. She is, it, it is traumatizing and, and there's all of this layer in with the mother and the brother and, you know, like all of it, you're a hundred percent. But I really appreciated that, that, yeah, when you are fully in the grip of grief, it is very hard to, to have other things penetrate that, that blanket of, for lack of a better term. Like it, it doesn't occur to you that like other people might be suffering, especially other people might be suffering because of the choices that you are making. Right. right. And I, I also think that it doesn't um, necessarily condemn being selfish because I think, you know, we, again, this is going back to our sort of binary thinking of yeah. right, wrong, black, white. Right, right. Um, but I, I, you know, there are, um, you know, there are times when being selfish is not necessarily a bad thing at all. And, you know, it's sent. And if you kind of look back and I'm, I'm sure don't at me because I'm only paying attention to Twitter, like maybe once a month, if I'm lucky, (laughs) most of the time I got other things to worry about. I have a lot of, I have a lot of books that I bought that I haven't read. Good man. Good, Um, good, Good use of time, really. But, you know, let's face it. Captain America at the end of Endgame chooses to do something very selfish. He chooses to, which is, again, completely understandable, but all of those things that he's chosen to not do in this sort of alternate reality. Right. um, You know, I hate to say it, it is what it is. That's not a bad thing. I'm not condemning him for it, but um, It's 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 not less selfish than what, Wanda does. It's just, it's destructive in a different way. Completely. And, and, and again, one of the things that I really appreciated about it is what you said is that it's not passing judgment on grief one way or the other. It is simply acknowledging that like when people are, are caught up in a loss and they are grieving, et cetera, they make choices that are very extreme that in the moment seem very reasonable. They seem very logical. They seem very grounded. And it is only as, as you can see past the immediacy of what you're dealing with that you can kind of wake up and go, wait a minute, this, this, is, this is effed up. I shouldn't, I shouldn't be doing this, et cetera. So I, I thought that they did a really lovely job of sort of, of, of I mean, it's, it's metaphorical and it's not, 
um, uh, but of portraying that. And I really personally appreciated that it, it was that way, including, you know, not for nothing, you have uh, Agatha Harkness who is manipulating someone who is grieving. Yes. Um, and I, so first of all, I want to say that Catherine Hahn is brilliant and I adore her and have adored her for many, many years. And she should work every day for the rest of her life. She should never not work. She's that good. She's, yeah. she's amazing and she can do anything and she's brilliant and I love everything about her. Um, and I was really glad that Agatha Harkness was in it. I didn't need the battle in the final scene. I would have been very happy to have, um, I was very happy that there was a conversation between Vision and Al- uh, White Vision, I guess I'm supposed to call him. Al- Vision, White Vision, yeah, yeah. Between the two visions. Yeah. Um, I could have very easily done a conversation between Wanda and Agatha. Um, I am happy to not see a uh, superhero movie that ends with a huge third arc. Um, I understand that that's kind of what's accepted and acceptable, accepted and acceptable. It's what we've, it's what we built as like, this is how you do it. Right. Um, but I, I actually was like, I, it wasn't that I thought it was bad. I was, I was just like, I could have done without that. I could have just had them sit down and have a really interesting conversation. And, um, you know. Uh, I understand why they did it. You know, you're setting up for the Doctor Strange movie, yada, yada, yada. Um, uh, But yeah, I I didn't need it. You know, and to some degree, I I mean, I I, I either saw something or read something where I guess originally Doctor Strange was going to be in WandaVision and then they, they, for whatever reason, he wasn't in WandaVision. And so some of the ending's a little funky because they rolled into it with one expectation and then it kind of went in a different direction. But I, I do agree with you that, that the, the fight between the two of them almost feels not, 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 not like phoned in per se, but it, it feels almost extraneous. Like I, I I'm kind of with you in, uh, in that, like I didn't need it. Like it, it felt, it felt expected, but not, <laughs> this is a weird phrase, but it felt, it felt expected, but I don't know that it was earned. Yeah. Um, I don't know if they wanted to make a villain to sort of take some of the heat off Wanda being a villain. That's which yeah, is a possibility. See, yeah. And, um, and, uh, um, I mean, I, I think between Paul Bettany and Elizabeth Olsen and Catherine Hahn, that I could very happily watch the show every month for the rest of my life and always be amazed and, and, and love it. Um, I actually, uh, well, I think I told you this, my D and D character is actually somewhat based on Wanda's, which is why he has that strange sort of faux European, Eastern European accent. Right, right, right. Yeah. Um, but anyway, um, yeah, I wonder if that had something to do with it. Just sort of let's let's have a bigger villain than Wanda, just I mean, so we can have someone to kind of blame everything on. And, and that's just it: is that I think that it is one of those. I, and I could see uh, myself sitting in a writing room. Uh, th- you know, again, you, when we started the conversation, we we're talking about like sort of overarching story stuff. And if this had been something that you and Matthew were pitching, I could see saying like, "Guys, we need something to make Wanda a little sympathetic because right now she's just the." 
She's just, you know, the woman that like enslaved an entire town to her grief, blah, 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 blah. What can we do to blunt that? And, oh, well, if Agatha Harkness is involved in is, you know, like, I'm not saying, I'm not saying that that's what happened, but I am saying that I could see how like that can evolve very quickly out of a fear of, will the audience accept that Wanda just did a bad thing? Like, will they be okay with that? Yeah. And so I think you make a good point. And like, thank God that they got Catherine Hahn to play Agatha Harkness, because now that she's done it, first of all, I can't imagine somebody else doing it. Like there's that. But secondly, like she is quirky and likable enough that even when she turns out to be the bad guy, that's, that's one thing as opposed to like, you know, somebody that's like twirling a mustache all the way. Yeah. Through, you know? Well, I, I do. I, I want to kind of, I, I'm going to give us a little bit of a fan service here for a second, which is that we, um, there are a lot of themes in this of, selfishness of attraction of selfish selfishness versus selflessness grief um uh death um mourning um and not mourning healthily that we really do have kind of touched on in almost every episode of cruelest month this i I mean i mean it is interesting like certainly wandavision is doing a very specific thing but one of the things that is fascinating that for me that you and, and Matthew, since you, you bring it up, because um, I have the privilege as, as the showrunner to like work with all these scripts and you guys, <clears throat> you know, the first challenge is a podcast that focuses on why April is just the worst. Uh, you know, I mean, like, you know, right. it, it, the cruelest month. Right. But but then the, the what you guys found, the wonderful you know, uh, whether, whether we're talking about like, um, whether we're talking about earth will quake where, where we've got children, like for me, there's a lot going on in all of them, but for me, just off the top of my head, children learning the truth about how just awful their parents are. And that's taken to such an extreme in that, you know, or whether it's twisting and, you know, Matthew's, Matthew's, uh, little piece where you've got, you know, the, the, um, uh, the rooming house down in Alabama that, that in this world, there are vampires and they're, they're like on government assistance and they're staying there. And the question, and I really admired this, like in both those pieces, in fact, the question of who is a monster, what is a monster, what qualifies them? Because in twisting, the vampires are on the surface, the monsters. And as we get through that episode, what we discover is that's not what makes you a monster. And in your piece, Earth Will Quake, and I'm picking just two out of a bunch of really lovely pieces, Earth Will Quake, you know, you have the two boys who are going to cast this spell and they're manipulating things and that's underhanded. And then as they learn the truth about their parents, uh, Anything they could do pales in comparison to the kind of horrible things their parents have done. And what is interesting in both stories, written by two separate people, not colluding in one way or the other, all of the bad decisions are driven in the name of love. Well, yes. And if you, when you listen to the pick apart for Earth Will Quake, you'll actually, we actually go into a whole discussion about, about that. However, 
Um, before we go too far into that, I do want us to wrap up um, our our WandaVision discussion. And time flies when I'm talking to you. This is uh, well. I, I like to think that I'm interesting. I realize I'm lying to myself, but I like to think, think that you're I am fascinating. But um, so we do want to say thank you, thank you, thank you for listening to us. Uh, please stay tuned for next week when we will have a brand new episode of Heidi and Nora don't know things. Um, but I think you'll find that, things. well, that's true. Um, but originally the title was Heidi and Nora don't know things yeah, which they, they, on they, some they... level is kind of more interesting. <laughs> I'm sure there's a whole lot that goes into that. Um, but I do want to say, I love Heidi and Nora. Um, I think we all know that. Um, I want to say thank you for, uh, for listening to us. I believe by this time, the last episode, by the time this airs, the last episode will have gone out, but I'm not well, positive about that. Not necessarily. We are, so, I think we're going to do one more, John. So we, well, I was going to say. But even the one before the one before won't be out. Okay. Oh, so, right. thank you, okay. Josh. Voice of God, everyone. So now we know. Um, but where I was going with that was please keep paying attention to the coolest one um, as we have a lot more coming up. Um, and who knows, maybe one day I will um, convince Kelly and Matthew to let me take over a comics corner where uh, it's literally just Matthew and I um, talking about all of the ideas that we discarded for our scripts for the cruelest month. Um, so, a blessing to do that. I think yeah. that would be a fascinating conversation. There you By go. the way, John, I should have started with this. The shirt, you, it, it, like you, your arms look great. You really, this is. Oh. Thank you. Um, just so everyone is aware, I'm wearing a sleeveless t-shirt because I'm in my um, my father's house where there is no air conditioner. It's the middle of August it's and it's very, very hot. T-shirt. It's very cool. There's no yes. sleeves and he's showing off the guns. So, well, thank you. I need, to, I need to get some of the triceps back in shape, but that's a whole separate story. Anyway, Thank you for joining us for this episode um, where we literally just talk about WandaVision. Um, the next Comics Corner will be all about comics um, where I actually don't think we touch on media at all. Um, but thank you for joining us. Thank you, um, Grace Kelly, Marilyn Monroe Johnston for uh, joining us. You may now call me Grace or Marilyn just okay. I may. Do, I probably will do that. Um, fine. Thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure, my friend. Thank you. Stay tuned to our next next episodes as we continue to explore why April is the cruelest month.